You're listening to Punk Theology. Yes, that is our digital bot. We have no problem using automation here at Punk Theology. So, punktheology.com is the website for this here experience. Would you like to join us in becoming a punk theologist? Would you? Uh, <laughs> or at least becoming a Patreon sinner saint. You can do that as well. Uh, click on the donate button or search for Punk Theology on Patreon. And, um, yeah, join the rebellion, right? The rebellion, it's like a religious, psychological, philosophical, intellectual rebellion against the Empire. That's right. I just went Star Wars, went a little geek on you. Hey, punks can be geeks too, all right? Nothing wrong with that. Today on the show, Attachments. Season 2, Episode 16. Western culture tends to really value a genre of media known as self-help. When we have a problem or we want to grow, we tend to seek surface-level instruction manual-like paths to accomplishing our goals. What we tend to neglect, or maybe not even be aware of, is the emotional attachment that, like malware, tends to come up and slow us down, if not stall us out altogether, as we try and execute said instructions to accomplish our goals. Setting goals is important. Overcoming sticky, self-destructive behaviors can save one's life. So the question we ask today is, what good is self-help if we keep giving up when this freaking emotional attachment malware has us thwart our own plans from the inside out? Truth is, it's a lot easier to pick up a book or turn on a podcast or watch a YouTube video than it is to actually get into the scary places where our attachment malware has been birthed out of certain defining moments in our lives, in our past. Get out of the past, Russ. Just forget the past and move on to the future. The fact is the sticky malware still in there are things like therapy or EMDR, antivirus software for such attachment malware. Are we brave enough to face the sticky attachments, to go in and kill the queen ant that's giving birth to all the little annoying pests climbing around on the surface. This, this is punk theology. But we haven't we haven't broke up the band or anything. <laughs> if that's what you're thinking. These guys are gonna kill each other. No. Not yet. No. Not yet. No, we're not <laughs> No. 
<laughs> there's only four of us here tonight. It's Steve. We'll, we'll switch voices. We may have and, uh, Arthur. Yeah, he's a uh, he's the Fifth Avenue in Seattle. Okay. John's here. Yo. And uh, and myself talking about attachments. We have a vacuum in the basement, and it's we lost a few of the attachments, and now I'm like, should we just get a new one? I don't know what that has to do with anything, but I'll. Derek, you had some thoughts on this about uh, something that you were you were uh, well, processing there. It's been a, I've been doing some EMDR lately in therapy, and two weeks ago, uh, this kind of builds up to an attachment thing. But uh, uh, two weeks ago, we had a session where I didn't do EMDR. We just kind of talked through some of the stuff we already worked, and uh, and the therapist said. You know, you're kind of an emotional thinker. Mm. Mm. And I said, first of all, I didn't even really know what that meant, but just, you know, off-the-cuff interpretation of that, I was like, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm an emotional thinker. Like, I don't... And I base that off of how I make decisions and what I do, and I don't tend to make very emotional decisions right. um, very often. And I was like, I don't know that that fits right. And she said, well, you tend to... It seems like you have trouble uh, decoupling your thoughts and your emotions. So y- when you feel something, you feel obligated to think through those emotions at mm. the same time. And that does all kinds of terrible things to you. And the biggest thing that it does is it sends you off into this spiral for hours and hours and hours where you obsess about something because you feel something and then you start thinking about it and then in your thoughts you set up a scenario of what that emotion means, and then you pour emotion into that scenario, and then it grows the scenario, and you start, and, you, and this means this, and this means this, and that means if this happens, and this is going to happen here, and you start talking in absolutes, like this is definitely going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, or like, I've been here before, and I felt this before, and when that happened, this happened, so that means it's definitely going to happen again. And so you start projecting into the future, you start extrapolating things, and you're just like, I'm just supposed to fucking feel it. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, don't... She's, you know, said you're not obligated to think any of those thoughts. And and all of a sudden I realized, like, that's... Like, yes, that feels fairly obvious, and that thought had never occurred to me. Like, But how can, can you just shut it off, the thoughts? You're not shutting it off. You're just allowing yourself to feel something without extrapolating. Mm. Letting it pass through you instead of adding more shit right. to it. Instead like, of, that's worry, right? You don't, have worry to, is... you don't have to create a structure for it. You don't have mm. to create a home for your feelings made out of thoughts. You can just feel them and let them be. Right. And you don't have to, and you don't have to assign meaning to them. I think a big part of me was almost a pragmatic, efficient thing with my emotions. Like, if I'm going to feel this shitty... I might as well make something out of it. <laughs> gotta right? be a reason. Yeah, like I might, you know. I'll give you something. a reason to cry, motherfucker. So story. let's like extrapolate to the future and see if we can fall, solve the future problem. Blah blah blah. Right? Mm. Makes sense when you're a kid, learning all that stuff. But the downside to that is brutal because you can't. Because first of all, the things that you're extrap, you tend to put weight in places when you're emotional that the weight shouldn't be. So you start to think through something. And your conclusions feel way more weighty than they actually are because you're super emotional. Right. And that weight brings up anxiety. And you're all of a sudden you're like, oh no, like this is this is really a big, big problem. And this is definitely gonna happen. And it's no, that's just your emotions guiding your thoughts. 
and you can just feel your emotions without being forced. Give it a story. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, so decoupling those two things, and so since then I've been just kind of working on that, and it's actually worked. I've been in some moments where historically I would have spun off, and like you, know, you kind of caught yourself. And four hours later, I would have been. Is it worry? Sweating and panic. Is it worry? Is it a worry thing? Yeah, it's a type of worry. It's yeah. it's different than it's. Yeah, it, I think it comes from the same place as worry. I think it's the same right. cause. Yeah, like yeah. thinking that you can that you're smart enough to figure it out and right. be able to extrapolate what is going to happen based on how you're feeling. I'm really intrigued by what you're describing because I think I do that as well. But and I'm not familiar with that. Um, term emotional thinker so I'll have to do some looking into that but it sounds like it's the opposite of cognitive behavioral therapy which would posit that your feelings are rooted in your cognitions or your thoughts right so this is a little bit reverse yeah it's kind of a reverse on that and that was an interesting part of the conversation that came up because she first started to describe it from CBT mm-hmm. perspective and I, the way I was coming out was the reverse of it mm-hmm. and she kind of sat and thought about it and said no yeah you're correct from the reverse of it too and it's actually probably more helpful for me to think about it from the reverse because my damage tends to have me feel safe in my thoughts and not safe in my emotions mm-hmm. um, and, and so and when I feel things I tend to to feel them for half a second, then I'm instantly thinking them. Mm. Yeah, I've identified what they are, and I'm, I've started to extrapolate what they mean. Mm. Uh, and and ultimately, the freedom comes in just sitting there and thinking, "You're, you might be wrong. There's a good chance that you're just wrong about this. Maybe it's not even worth expending the energy, right? Because because you can't know. Because you because no matter how smart you think you are, there's so many factors that you just don't know about in this situation." Just don't spend the energy trying to to think it and and feel like feeling like you know what's going on, mm-hmm. like that feeling like you definitely have diagnosed it and you definitely know what's going to happen. Yeah. That's the enemy. That's the bad. That's right. where things start to go bad. Uh, and it's been hugely helpful. It's been really good. Is that part of your like so attachment theory in a nutshell is going back to that's why psychologists use inner child metaphors and stuff like that because those the way we feel about what we attach ourselves to like it starts really early like mm-hmm. infancy mm-hmm. and then in toddler stage and where we feel safe preverbal and, yeah and that's where those feelings and, and that's what I love about that the psychologist was Phil Ivy a neurologist who who said all this Skinner stuff and just logical if you can be more logical you'll be you know, happier like no no everyone well, fucking, you don't do anything <laughs> without, without feeling something yeah. first we all feel something first so yeah attachment theory is getting back to those that childlike self and and uh, and and developing a relationship with him or her like kind of like your dead children's stories do you feel like some of those stories were you not so much extrapolating but getting into those kids to find out what they were feeling but were they extrapolating what do you think uh there's a question yeah i think i've been i think i've been extrapolating for a really really were those stories extrapolating those feelings you think yes for sure i mean just the i mean the fact that every single one of those stories ends in a death of the child Mm -hmm. like that's an extrapolation that's putting a ton of weight into a moment that in and that's that was the feeling in the moment that wow. I was gonna fucking die, mm. uh, and I didn't. Yeah. And I and but I would put so much weight into those moments, um, and and 
And I've done that historic. I'm just thinking right now of like I do that socially so often. Yeah, me too. Like I make a little mistake socially, and I will fucking oh, crush yeah. myself for yeah. forever. Yeah. And I'll just die, like die on myself over and over, reliving like how, like you fucking idiot, <laughs> like what the fuck, you can't yeah. even <laughs> behave, you know. Like, like you blew that. You're an so asshole. You look right. like <laughs> right. Which you know, and being in yeah. those situations where someone says something awkward, like you just kind of roll over the top of it. Yeah. Like it doesn't really play that well, but it feels like when I make a mistake like that in the moment, that it plays so heavy. And I and I'll just I give myself permission. I almost I encourage myself to put a ton of weight on that. Uh, I think part of it is because I think I'll fix it for next time so I don't remember yeah. there's a whole bunch of just ugly shit in that but honestly like the more I've been unraveling it lately it just feels fucking stupid mm. like like this is not panning out right. all the way that, that you kind of had set it up to be and, uh, and yeah and just having you know her kind of point that out feels like it really started to unravel some stuff of like yeah I definitely do that and uh, and you're right. Maybe that's not the have best. You always, have you always done that? I think, as far as I can remember, the other interesting um, downside to this has been I'm pretty good at making decisions not emotionally, and that's because through this process I learned not to trust my own thoughts mm. and not to trust mm. my own emotions. That's ultimately where it, where it ended up with. So that's caused a huge amount of issues with me internally because mm. I feel like I can't trust myself because there's so many situations of me acting out on these thoughts that I had that were, you know, extrapolating, like this is definitely going to happen so that means I should do this and then I go out and do it and I'm like, oh, fuck, that was, <laughs> I, was wrong. I was way wrong on that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so then... But you learned. You yeah. learned, yeah. But I learned broken, right? Like I... Right. I, yeah. And healed broken. Yeah, yeah. Is what that is. Yeah. I broke the bone and then it healed crooked. <laughs> right. And then I've been trying to patch it together ever since. Yeah. I just tend to make it more and more crooked over time. I had a friend is, who was... This is a, interesting. We haven't talked about this because we haven't seen each other in a while or a couple of weeks, but like my gears are turning and I'm intrigued because I'm seeing myself in it. But that's not to say that when you have a feeling that there's not a story or that there's not a, a thought... A way you got there? And it's just... And it's not trying to dualistically separate. Okay. It's just pulling back. Gotcha. It's like, can you not put your full weight on into your into you that spiraling. goddamn story that you just made up two seconds? Ago? I was spiraling today, just right. like you know, what I, I felt something and I had this cognition. You know, what does it mean? What, what does it mean? This? Why do I feel? Yeah, why do I feel uh, this? So it could be, oh, I'm stressed or I'm anxious or I'm thinking about this person or or my daughter, and I start spiraling. You know, and giving it a story when maybe it, I don't maybe need to do just that. Yeah, it. just feel it and take a step back. There was some study done that said we 90% we, of the shit we worry about doesn't ever happen. Oh, hell no. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It can't. It can't. Well, we can't predict what's going to happen three seconds from now. Why yeah, do we yeah, think yeah. we can predict what some other person uh, that's totally unpredictable is going to do like weeks in the future. But we're sitting there playing, <laughs> playing these scenarios. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that guy's there just thinking ah. about this and, <laughs> right, yeah. and I'm having these imaginary conversations. The voices, the accusations in the head, the critical voice in the yeah. head. Do you ruminate, Steve? Ruminate? Yeah, worry or spiral. Well, well, what he's saying, a lot of that I can I can sense. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll identify with because there are things, and for me, it's 
hearing voices. It's it's hearing the accusations that I've heard a lot of growing up. Right. When you hear those voices, do you feel like you put a lot of weight on them? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're true. Yeah. You believe it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I'm you now feel it. Trying to understand um, if I genuinely have always loved the game of baseball. Always loved it. Played it. Played softball until I couldn't anymore. And I think part of it, and I'm trying to understand this better too, is I got a lot of allocates from my dad when I did well. Okay. Just some affirmation. Yeah. And I remember when I would strike out, I wouldn't get the allocates. I don't remember getting any criticism, but in myself, the self-criticism was there because I think in my head I was feeling, well, I'm not going to get that affirmation. So I would act out out of the frustration that I wasn't going to get the the allocates that that I was looking for. And I gotta ask, and that's one of the things I'm really trying to evaluate in my own self. But I like baseball, really for baseball. Right. I like baseball because I'm still trying to get my dad's approval. And that's you know it's it's hard and uh, to have those relationships where what am I doing is in what I in what I am doing to be to seek validation. Am I trying, in other words, to get my dad's validation for his own insecurities? You know, was my dad using me? And I, I, I'm, I'm convinced my dad was using me to try and validate his own sense of insecurities and a sense of failure. Hmm. And I, Gertis and I talked a little bit about this, and that's one of the things that he says, well, that sucks. I go, yeah, because I'm looking back at my own daughters. When they played soccer, I was trying to validate myself through their through the, through, through what they accomplished, both grades, schools they went to, and now their careers. And I've both apologized to both of them. I, said, I am so sorry if I ever felt like if you ever felt like you were I needed you to validate me. That's one thing I've really valued as a parent is working to instill in my kids that they're their own person. Mm-hmm. I'm there to steward them, I'm there to guide them, but to be a resource, but they're their own person. They make their own decisions. They have their own values. They might disagree with me. I might disagree with them. So yeah love my you know my my nine year old son decides he wants to dye his hair blue. Why the fuck a third grader wants to dye his hair blue I don't know but he, he wants to dye his hair blue he's like talking about it I guess it's trendy now Yeah. so okay whatever you can dye your hair blue let's do it when I was you know little I mean I I like music at a young age I had a cousin who was older than me you know I uh, I, I, had, I, I was attracted to maybe a certain aesthetic and my parents hell no you can't do that yeah. you can't dress like that you can't Likewise. look like that it's yeah. like well why not what's the big deal right. You know, get it out now, I guess. <laughs> I'm finding I have a confirmation bias to the negative thoughts in my head. Oh, yeah. So, so like what you're saying, a negative thought comes up. I look to try and validate yeah. it. Like, I try and put weight into that. And, like, like I, for some part of me wants that to be true. And so I look for a way to make it true. It almost feels like a river, and you're flowing down the river trying to... Grab shit and it's all oh, yeah. negative garbage that you're just piling on. Neighbor yourself. down the street, for instance, had service master was at his house, and uh, then yesterday I came home and there's a plumbing truck out there. 
Okay, in my head I'm thinking, oh, what in the hell would that have been? A neighbor across the street came over about four years ago. She says, well, a pipe broke. They're faulty in this neighborhood because they came in and just did a shitstorm on this. So in my head, right, I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm going to have water leaking. So I heard water running in the house, and that's where my head is running. I could not sit still. I had to go find out where that water was leaking. <laughs> or if I hear something in the car, I didn't hear that before. What is that? You know, is that about ready to go? Uh, if it feels a little funny, I'm hypersensitive to that kind of stuff. And I will go dark on it. I will go dark in a hurry. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing I'm trying to understand is just feel it. Don't overanalyze don't over- it. Maybe you're just, maybe there's just some fear in you. Oh. And you just need yeah. to feel the fear. I could very And well. not yeah. to have to sink a whole bunch of meaning. And, and yeah, so, yeah, I've been spending a lot of time on that. Like, like it's nice because I can catch myself in the moment, like, I'm spiraling. Like, I'm definitely spiraling. I don't know why, but there's something back there that happened a while ago that caused me to spiral. Yeah. So then I can go back and be like, oh, like, there's an emotion somewhere in the core of this somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw off the rest of that bullshit that I just spent the last three hours building. <sighs> just, <laughs> yep, and just spend a couple of minutes feeling that. And things like music are super helpful. Yeah, uh, our access to music now is so crazy. I know. Like I can feel, I can find something that fits the exact mo- the motion of what I'm feeling in that moment. Yeah, and just sit and feel it for a while, and then all of a sudden, like a bunch of that weight is just not there anymore. Like yeah. I still do it. I still run mm-hmm. scenarios, but I'm not doing it six hours later. The house we were at for on Thanksgiving Day, the guys was music, um, just a, that's his hobby. I mean, you need his high end. He's got a $5,000 turntable. He's got a $2,000 uh, album cleaner that, shoot, that shoots distilled jets of water. But he says, he said to me, he says, you know, Steve, he says, for me, music is the most spiritual aspect of my life. He has uh, tinnitus where he's got the constant oh, ringing. Mm. And I had, had that at one point. It went away, but... Uh, he's had it since he was a kid. And so he was like baby dreamer. Music. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Soothes that. Mm. Yeah. He says it just calms that noise. He's mm. still there, but he says it just lowers it down. My, my Did life. you see the movie Baby Baby Driver? No. Super good. Oh, it's good. That yeah. was the basis of the movie is this kid's got ten, tinnitus and he's constantly got his headphones in. Uh I and, and it's basically his life runs on a on a soundtrack. The action sequences are synced to the music that he's listening oh, to. Yeah. It's, it's a good it's movie. Really good. Really? What's yeah. it called? Baby Driver. Baby Driver. And film does well, that well, too, right? Like, like film is sort of like uh, one Seriously? year. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> film, just, film does that like music does even. For me, uh, there's some films that I've watched a bunch of times because they bring me back to a place. Yeah, you process some emotion. Um, I'm like that too with movies. Also, in attachment theory, so attachment theory has been around since like the 30s, you know, and, and there's some dualism in this, but I'll bring it up because it's interesting. I still think it's way too dualistic, but... It's been modified here and there. Yeah, yeah. But there's... There, so they'll say, they'll say that there's two ways that people react to, to attachment theory, which I think is a little bit bullshit, but I'll throw it out there. <laughs> One of them is anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you grew up in a certain way, you didn't get the attachments you needed, so you get anxious. Another one is you were neglected and you tend to run away or avoidance. avoidance. Yeah. So those are the two kind of dualism things. I tend to do a little bit of both. Like, I'm not afraid of conflict, you know? As much like at work or, or doing the podcast and stuff like that, and 
and uh, being a terrorist people that I've talked Facebook. to, and being a terrorist on Facebook, yeah. <laughs> just I'll throw shit on Facebook just to grenades. People on social media. There was a guy. Here's a here's a, a funny mm-hmm. little side note. There was a guy who went on Facebook and started photoshopping pictures of his two year old in really dangerous situations <laughs> just to fuck with his family on Facebook. <laughs> So she's like standing right next to like like a dam is like coolie dam and she's like standing right there on the thing. It's like oh. it looks like what are you doing? There's a bunch of them. It's hilarious. Um, but that's but that's part of that, right? Like that's part of that getting people to. So I do both. I tend to you know I like conflict over here, but when it comes to my wife or my my daughter or my family. I tend to really avoid conflict. Like I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want anybody to think I'm a. I, I don't got this. You know, there's some of that in me where I'm trying to constantly show everybody that I've got. I got this. You know, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> so I'm not like that normally in the rest of my life. But at home, for some reason, there's a lot of avoidance in me. I've been processing some of that. There's a lot of fear of conflict and and upsetting people. Um, well, aren't there three phases: flight, flight, or freeze? And how we fight, flight, or freeze? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's an adrenaline, right? When adrenaline gets running. Because I don't like conflict <clears throat> at all. That's all where the, the deer in the headlights comes from. That idea mm-hmm. of freeze. Mm-hmm. Get hit by the truck. No. Yeah. No, I, I avoid conflict like the plague. Mm. Where it comes in for me in the work that I've been going through, and maybe I've touched on it before, but like Steve articulates, I have this father wound and this you know lack of approval from my father that I long for as a kid and I didn't get. And uh, so not any validation, not any affirmation. And uh, but I loved him and I looked up to him and then and then he goes and dies. Like, you know, when you were 12, right before, right right after, like a week after my 12th birthday, he dies. And, uh, and so then I got angry, like, I'm going to be a better man than him. I'm going to, you know, beat him or whatever. But that father wound thing runs deep. And then, and that, that can create a lot of instability, obviously a lot of insecurity. And then, uh, is junior high age, I got the Jesus bug through the youth group. And that was like really grounding and really centering and, and, uh, and that carried me for, for a while here and there. And then you're young and you live life and whatever. But well, the, the hard thing now is like... Think about a, baseball. Is a middle-aged adult, like with that father wound and sort of not finding as much grounding or comfort in my faith, it feels really unstable and just really insecure and really like like I don't have good footing or something. And that's, a, that's difficult. That's kind of a lot of what my therapy is. That's a lot of what that... And maybe it's just regular midlife crisis existential angst or yeah, something. Yeah. It's, it's probably textbook well. cliche. Yeah. I don't fucking know. It's just, it's real. Like, it's palpable. Um, I find a lot of meaning in it, though. Like, the more I study existential philosophy and some of that shit, it's like, isn't that real faith, though, John? Like, Oh, yeah. If, like, if you can... The if dark you can, night of the soul. Yeah, if you can yeah. figure out Jesus or something. Oh, yeah. You know? It's like, that's not faith. Uh, hey, that's great. I just kind of want to... I want to stop. <laughs> it, it's fine for a while. Okay, I went to the dark night of the soul. Yeah. I'm I'm good, Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Let's like, go. But yes, yeah. you're you, you're right. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. from beauty, there's a real beauty in not the the uncertainty or making yourself uh, 
decentered, or, or how Peter Rollins would put it, was it, I thought it was really interesting. Like that's that's where I find Christianity as an anti-religion because Jesus did a lot of that. Like all your rules and stuff, like you guys, and you know. Well, and then they kill him. <laughs> well, we're, we're so there's that. Like, like to, to that thought, where, where I've been going with that lately is just kind of pondering the idea in Christianity. You know, people talk about Jesus died or the cross, you know, the cross. Jesus died on the cross. And maybe it's some yeah, kind like of, some kind of tra- acquittal. Or some kind of transitional atonement or some kind yeah. of, yeah, Easter, Jesus, Good Friday on the cross. and and But when, you, when you've had death in your life or maybe you've been close to death, Maybe you've had an experience where um, where you felt death, the coldness of it, the loneliness of it, the despair of it, like just really going deep into death, mm. and and just I don't know, like it, it sometimes amazes me how a lot of people haven't experienced that feeling, but I've felt that feeling. It's been in my, it's part of my story, mm-hmm. and uh, when you really just kind of meditate on death, the, the, the coldness, the loneliness of it, the stillness of it, the bleakness. And that narrative in Christianity, whether you're a Christian or not, I think is just beautiful and intriguing, this idea that God died, mm-hmm. and he didn't really want to. And he actually had some death anxiety. Yeah. Before, like, even God gets death anxiety. It gets if this cup could pass. This, could yeah, we, right? Could we not? That's just an amazing story when you yeah, really think. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and, and the mystics would say that's the way to God, is, to, is the cross, is death, is Golgotha, mm-hmm. is, to, is to know that that's part of that, that incarnational humanity of God in the Christian narrative. It's beautiful when you yeah. really think about it. And I find some grounding and comfort in that when I when I can get there. But but yeah, Russ, to, to your thought on Christianity, that's that's there for sure. I like that uh, when when I can and I think sometimes I would ruminate, or like Derek saying with the worry, I really got into theology like really heavily. Uh, especially with the the sexually compulsive behavior stuff, like when I found out that you know some of this grace, the theology of grace really <laughs> blew my mind. Like, what if the fact that you can't do all the rules and jump through all the hoops, like, what if that's what changes you? <laughs> like, like love, like loving a two year old. You don't yell at a two year old because he can't, you know. Jump a, a, a free throw or something, right? Well, like Ellen Watts, I think articulates this idea. Well, his lectures are so mesmerizing and beautiful. He just had this uh, this voice, which is I, he's just mesmerizing. I could just listen to him all day. But you know, he breaks that same sort of thing. Well, perhaps in a more Eastern philosophical sense, but that that's kind of the key. Is like. You know, when, when, when you're trying to seek enlightenment or salvation or, or, or whatever, you invariably realize that there's nothing there. Like, you can't do it. And that's where it, it comes from. That's where it happens is when it falls apart and you realize you, you can't do it. Yeah. The moment you give up is the moment you <laughs> Yes. <save it. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's grace, right? Like, that's... This was the thought I had about my evangelicalism... And I wonder if you guys can relate or if you would agree. But with that thought I just shared about death and the cross or whatever and kind of meditating on that. I, I think that what the, my previous iteration of Christianity or, or what I was sold as a young person is that you can have 
resurrection and, and new life without death. Mm-hmm. I mean, the cross is there, sure, yeah, but but the, it, there's never like like really a death. It's sort of like, hey, get saved and it'll be good. Yeah, yeah. So yes. you have resurrection and new life, but no death. Where's that? Where's the death in it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. No, I, that makes that makes sense. Your ego has to die. I was in a conversation with someone. That's not today. Sexy. That's hard this. to sell. It is hard, hard to sell. That's hard to sell. I was, I, was, I was talking to some woman today who believes in like conversion therapy and shit like that, and she's trying to defend how gay people are going to hell. And, and I said, well, if gay people are going to hell, we're all going to hell. Like that's you know, if you read like Matthew five, for example, I was really encouraging her to, hey, study Matthew five and tell me that if gay people are going to hell, we're not all going to hell. Because um, she's a Christian lady, uh, but well, did you explain to her that scientists now think that sex, human sexuality is a, a spectrum and not a binary? Yeah, so everyone's a little. Well, that was kind of the, so. If you're a little homosexual. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was some of the you know that was some of the conversation. Yeah, conversion was, therapy. Though, so she's okay. Well, science and science and and uh, and uh, psychology are pro-gay. Like that's kind of the conclusion that's jumped to <laughs> because like, it really? disagrees with them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it doesn't be for anything. There's just scientists trying to get to the truth. Um, but I think that's part of some of what we're talking about, too, is there's a... In religion, there can be an attachment to... No, this has to... And I think that's where Jesus went with the Pharisees, too, is he would he would bring them to that place where, where you have this brick wall, like everything's black and white right here, and then he would just blow through that. And, and they didn't like that. And I think today is the same thing. And people grow up in some of that to where well, there are certain questions you're just not allowed to ask. Right. Right? There's just certain things. You're, we've talked about some of that in a, a few other episodes. This is a passenger you had in your vehicle? No, this is a Facebook conversation oh, I had with this woman. <laughs> Um, and I forgot, oh, where, I was going. Yeah. I and forgot you, where I was going with that. Did you win the argument, Russ? I wasn't trying to win the argument, <laughs> um, but no, that's what that's what that's where I was going with it. Was we were talking about salvation, and she goes, "Well, what I got saved, and people just need to get saved." And I, got, I said, "I said without without awakening, there's no saved." I said, "What if it's less about saved and lost, and it's more about awake and asleep?" Hmm. Yeah, Brendan Manning said something like that. that yeah, it made sense to me. That's orthodoxy too, right? Like, there's an experienced thing going on here. There's not just some you signed the contract and you gave Jesus your soul. You know, you went forward at a, at a you know the altar. No, call yeah, and, there's not a line of demarcation. It's yeah. more this thought that I, 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 the Eastern Christian Christianity way of thinking about it is, I, I was quote saved two thousand years ago. You know, and and, uh, through Christ and the incarnation and the resurrection, and I'm being saved, and I will be saved. It's like a past, present, and future thing, and it's a process. It's just, it's all of history, all of time. It's not just one thing. It's yeah. Maybe we're getting too theological. You call this podcast punk theology? I know, right? (laughs) But still, I you know, I want I want atheist part of the conversation big time too. And I, and here's something that I really appreciate about about the Christian faith when it gets down to the roots of it, and I'll throw this out there. So, what you guys think is is grace an intellectual technology? <laughs> no. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't think so? Because you have to. Can you intellectualize grace? Probably. You could. 
But I think you can intellectualize anything. Yeah, that's true. That's the nature of intellectualism. But if you think about grace in the, in the terms of, uh, you know, no, everyone's kind of equal. I think the, our country was built on some of those, some of those ideas. That, How would you define grace then? Unmerited favor, you know. Unexpected uh, favor. Um, maybe. Yeah, I think. I think because we, as a culture, and as humans in general, we tend to really merit when someone does a great job. Yeah. Like some, like to today, there's guys who play football. Like they play a fucking game and make hundreds of millions of dollars a year for carrying a goddamn ball down a field. Like what is that? That is merit, right? Well, here's the. I think this is probably what you're driving at. Is that grace is subjective? Because grace only exists when somebody thinks that you didn't deserve it. Mm. So either you have to think you didn't deserve it, or someone observing it has to think that you didn't deserve it. So right. it's a judgment call. If you think you deserved it, it's not grace. No, because we want to earn it. Right? We want to feel like we deserve something. Well, Back in the Kaminsky method. Oh, that show you're the talking art, about? The show I've been watching. It's on uh, Netflix. Netflix. The Alan, Ar- Alan Arkin character gives the Michael Douglas character $300,000 to settle an IRS bill. <laughs> Michael Douglas cannot take the money without a payment plan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He cannot. So Alan Arkin's character goes, well, I'm going to screw him. I'm not going to take it. <laughs> so he goes to this bar. They meet at this bar, and Michael Douglas says, okay, I'm going to write you a check, $1,000 every month. Fine. Calls the waiter over. Give me your pen. Gives the $1,000 to the waiter. Because you do a wonderful job here. Thank you. And it is just screwing with Michael Douglas. That's awesome. <laughs> it is. Because in that, what we are, yeah, exactly. yeah. We, can, we struggle to you, just you receive can. something without I, a merit. I thought about this a, a few months ago. Like I, I had a cigar with a, a guy I go to church with. I, I gave him a cigar. Uh, a week later, I see him. He brings me a cigar. It's, like, why can't you just take my cigar <laughs> and just stop it? Like, I will argue that people that can accept things without merit are no fun to hang out with. Ah, because they, they just take. They just take. Yeah, it's okay. Take. I'll let you serve yes. this. <laughs> the mood, right? right? Yes. Well, yeah, dude, I, all someone does is accept your gifts without any question. Mm. Those are terrible people to hang out with. <laughs> I remember those fucking Dave Ramsey people can be like that. They will go to your birthday party. They'll eat your food. They won't bring you a gift because they're on the Dave Ramsey program. Yeah, yeah it's the same thing. Yeah. Grace. <laughs> I accept your grace. Thank you. Yes, mooch grace. <laughs> that, no, that, yeah. That it doesn't be a, work. It does it tenet of that's punk a, theology. Yeah, that's, a thing. that's what I'm thinking. Mooch grace. Maybe it does. That's a spectrum. There's a spectrum, right? <laughs> Those Dave Ramsey people, yeah. reloaders. <laughs> yeah, uh, but th- but that's kind of the the, th- the threat of, of, of grace, though, is that um, people get afraid of antinomianism or lawlessness, and even the, the 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 author of the Gospel of Matthew, you know, has Jesus saying, you know, depart from me, you doers of lawlessness. Yeah, and and Paul talks about it as well in, in Romans, like. You know, so more sin, more grace. You know, like he kind of addresses that whole problem. Yeah, he addresses yeah, like right. sides of it. Yeah. So, so it's like that, that's kind of like where it makes people nervous. Is like, well, yeah, don't, don't don't go crazy though. I mean, yeah, you have grace, but don't just be like some degenerate. Be <laughs> 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 like them. Grace with a seatbelt, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think. Uh, 
Derek's doing a time check. Time check. Um, <laughs> is this over? <laughs> where was I? Going? Is this over yet? <laughs> but bringing it back, bringing it back around to attachment theory, though, I think that grace is something that you know. How do you how you process it, that as a kid, even intellectually, I think is really important. Are you the mooch, or are you the person that always has to pay back, or how was your dad? Like, how did your parents demonstrate was there room unmerited for, favor? Was there room for grace to even exist? Yeah. I think that was a thing in my childhood, is it was explained at grace, and then it was okay. When are you going to pay this back? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's like, well, that's not that's not grace, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I gave you grace. Now, what are you going to do for me? Well, that's. That's not that's grace. That's not grace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's shaping how you then view grace. Right, right. exactly. Yes. Because you will then repeat that. This yeah. has come up in my therapy a lot. I view relationships as very transactional. Do you? Yes. Hmm. And I tend to, and I'm generally pretty frugal about most things, and I'm very, I get a lot of anxiety over the idea of burning relational credit. Oh. It drives me crazy when I feel like I'm burning a credit. Hmm. How would you burn relational credit? Like being vulnerable, it? needing oh. somebody to do something, oh. make, you know, relying on somebody mm. else to support you. Yeah. Uh, like, hey, like, man, I really need you to do blah blah blah. Like, even in the moment, if it's totally justified and something that's healthy for me, there's still part of me that's like, man, I kind of wish I hadn't had to use that. Mm. That's hard. I think that's a human thing, though, right? Like, it is. I've seen that in recovery groups too. Recovery groups. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot pulled out of someone who can't call their sponsor, right? Like if somebody relapses and they have a sponsor, the sponsor's like, what the fuck? Did I get a call? Um, not to shame that person, but to say just that. Like where is the need for this relationship between you and I in what you're trying to accomplish in quitting the substance or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or letting go of the coping mechanism. I think the worst thing about it is relationships largely are transactional. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the business world, in the workaday world, absolutely. But even like, mm-hmm. like there is even interpersonal relationships at some level are transactional, but they're just yeah. not nearly right. as hardline. I think as I tend to. Yeah. I make a distinction on. between like reciprocating and transactional, though, right? Like, like that's yeah, interesting. That yeah. might be. Reciprocating. Like, if I kiss my wife, I want her to kiss me back, right? Yeah. <laughs> or else yeah. it's just kind of not right. like. Or if I if I tell my wife I love you, I want to hear I love you too. Or like if I shake Derek's hand and he doesn't shake mine back, it just kind of gives me a limp dick well, handshake. We, it's just not. You know, and that's not really that's not really what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about the moments where I am not where I'm making someone else. Leave their comfort zone, mm-hmm. and I have—I'm really in that putting moment. them out. In that moment, yes, I'm not bringing anything. I'm just taking. In that gotcha. Moment. Like that's—that's that's what I'm mostly talking about, and it—and I don't know how to do that very well. I hate it. Mm-hmm. I, it, yeah, it—it's come up a couple of times, and yeah, in therapy, and and I think there was a lot of that in my childhood of. Uh, when somebody does something to you, for you, that's nice. That's great, but you're going to pay for it a little bit later, mm. just so you know. Interesting. The gold star? No, it's different than that. Mm. Like, like it's it's very mob-like, right? 
Like trading favors. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, gotcha. Like, oh, this, that was a favor, just so you know. And it was never <laughs> expressed in those terms. Yeah. But but there was just a kind of a little bit of that culture of like, uh, yeah. And part of it is probably in the culture I grew up with. Part of it was just probably an extrapolation of my own. Right. Uh, from my own experiences. Uh, I think so in my sales career, when I was in sales, um, I felt dirty about some of that for whatever reason. It just felt like every relationship I had professionally was trying to get something out of someone. Yeah. Yeah. And if it wasn't going to sell them, I really didn't have time for that person. Yeah. I remember some guy called me the pizza Nazi <laughs> because I went to I went to big companies and I sold like volumes of pizza. And I would tell these people, like, listen, I only have like two hours to sell a lot of pizza. And if you guys aren't going to buy them, I'll find another place that will. Like I'm sorry, you know I'm not trying to be a dick or anything, but <laughs> they call me the pizza Nazi, <laughs> the soup Nazi outside. But no pizza for you. Um, but I've been flirting with some of that, like getting back into into sales, possibly um, because I think that there was some the shame in it. Like I heard a guy say this too, and he said he said as a salesperson. When you feel good about yourself and what you're doing, there's that that reciprocation is going on. So you're you're selling a product that someone needs. Right. Um, I think it's that sleazy used car salesman thing that when or the high pressure guy who climbs all over someone like you have to say no three times before they leave you alone. Yeah, that's uh, emotional manipulation right. too. That's what I didn't like because I felt emotionally manipulating with people, and I, and I don't want a part of that. So. Is, is Derek was talking like my because I I say kind of silly things all the time but I'm sure I've said something along the lines of like uh, if someone needs a ride to the airport I'm just going to give them 50 bucks so I don't have to do it and they can apply that toward an Uber that's what it's worth to me and so Derek in his mind is like oh shit I can't ask John for that favor <laughs> which I don't mean for you to think <laughs> I'm just being silly but or, or, or like yeah if John that's 100% accurate <laughs> If you want me to help you move, I'm just going to go get you a couple Mexican laborers from Home Depot. <laughs> like, you know, just, and I'll pay them and they'll, they'll do it for me. You, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm helping. <laughs> yeah. No, but you guys can ask me. It's okay. <laughs> Sincerely. So here's the story for you. Here's something I did today that was flirting with this idea. Um, I went to, I drove by this place a bunch of times. And there's something weird in me, too, that I've always liked graveyards. And graveyards have come up in some of my EMDR sessions as well. Um, I find it peaceful to walk in graveyards. I think that there's there's sacred space there, you know. Um, there's a lot of people there. They're, they're they nice. They don't have a lot to say. Yeah. They're usually well taken care of. They're quiet. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I went by uh, a, a cemetery that had a... Uh, hiring sign and I called the guy and talked to the general manager and said what does this look like what does it look like to sell grave plots or mm-hmm. caskets or something like that and uh, it's interesting so I don't know I don't know if I'm going to do it but I just think that uh, lately I've had some friends die my mom died and, uh, a while back and there's just something really beautiful to that business when you can, I'm not gonna high pressure people. I don't. I think there's got to be some kind of, you know, you're just trying to be there for people. You're trying to. Doesn't grandma up. deserve the best? Like, <laughs> <laughs> 
Grandma would have wanted this. Grandma would have wanted yeah. <laughs> the she Cadillac of Grandma by what you do here. Yeah, Grandma yeah. will be looking. You don't down. care. I so, got a box. Yeah. And I like doing the Uber and Lyft thing. Like I, I make pretty good money with it with a van, um, but. Dude. I'm not. Um, I, the the freaking city is shutting down the Lascaux Viaduct in January, oh, and so there's just it's going to be a goddamn nightmare. I don't want to drive in that freaking city in come January. You got to read Caitlin Dottery's book. Smoke gets into your eyes. Oh yeah, and she's you, the one. She's she, she's also. I've seen her YouTube stuff. Ama- oh yeah, Order of the Good Death. I love her, <laughs> and that's given me some kind of, kind of curiosity about being using my gifts as a. Uh, you know, someone that can help people make decisions. To be honest, Russ, I think you'd be really good at that job. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it would pay you. Really be a funeral director. Th- th- this guy, as um, I say here, my black hat. Uh, th- there's this other. <laughs> door to door. There's this other blogger. You guys might dig him. Um, I think he just wrote a book. I- I'd be interested in reading it. Caleb Wild is his name. He's a funeral director, and he comes from a Christian background. I don't know if he's like uh, post evangelical or agnostic or whatever. But but I heard a podcast interview with him, and he was really the way he was talking about his work as a funeral director is is my ministry is Holy Saturday, right? There's Good Friday. There's there's the death. And there's Easter Sunday, there's the resurrection. But my space, my work is in that liminal space between life and death where there's hope maybe of life after and there's grief. But you don't know. You're kind of in that liminal space where there's like grief and hope sort of mixed together. It's just the way he was articulating. It was beautiful. That Holy Saturday idea of what a funeral director is. Yeah. So. Yeah. And even without that, like my friend Dave, when he passed... He was part of, like, he was a car guy and had a classic cars and he was belonged to some car clubs. And all the people that came out for him was really beautiful. No one organized it. Like, people <laughs> just brought, it's like a potluck, you know, a bunch of people bought food. And there's probably 75, 50, 75 people showed up. And, uh, yeah, there's something to that that I, that I find beautiful and orchestrating that and coordinating that. Endearing. I don't, I wouldn't orchestrate it. Come on, you're I'd really good at it. <laughs> Kind of making people feel safe to be a little bit emotional. Like you're really, you can make that space really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and you're a pretty easy person to just kind of jump into that with, and I think that would probably serve you pretty well. Well, thanks. In that space. Yeah. Yeah. Let's know how it goes. So yeah. like death. I don't know. Uh, death happens. Your death happens. So bringing it back around, uh, the vacuum attachment. How we opened this. Uh, you, we open this podcast. I, I know how it works. It's because this segue sucks. Va- vacuums suck. Yes. yes. <laughs> what is this segue? Wait, I got one more thought. No. <laughs> Both pilots. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe. Like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound? Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't chicken out! It's like I picked the wrong week to quit smoking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. It's like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. That's a huge bitch! Picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue.